All right. Well, the last couple of weeks we've been talking about uh, how the the big focus in Scripture uh, with the end is about how God is going to restore all things. That's a phrase that comes in Acts chapter three that Peter uh, uses. Another phrase that you see a few times is where it talks about the new heavens and the new earth, and it's this idea of God recreating things, um, heaven and earth coming together. Right. That's the picture in Revelation. Uh, we saw in Second Peter, the earth is not destroyed, but it's purified by this fire that takes away all the corruption and sin and brokenness, and um, it's it's heaven on earth in a sense. Uh, now, that's not usually the typical story that most of us have heard, right? Growing up, or that is is often preached. Even though uh, hopefully I've shown that it's a very biblical concept. Uh, instead, most of the focus is on going to heaven when you die. Right. Uh, that's that's the whole story, and again, I wouldn't say that's wrong. It's just not the full story. Uh, it doesn't. It's it's very focused just on us, uh, and as we saw in Romans eight, God's concern is for all of creation. God created all of it and called it all good, and so it doesn't actually make sense for God to just abandon part of it and just take a few human souls out of it. Um, I would argue one of the reasons that this idea is so prevalent is because uh, it's very much in a lot of our songs. Right? And what we sing tends to be what we believe. Uh, there's even a Latin phrase that basically says that. So it's a very, that's a very common idea. Uh, that the, uh, maybe I guess it means the song leader has more power than the preacher, which, uh, since I'm more of a song leader than a preacher now, I guess that's good news. Well, what, what songs come to mind when you think of this idea of it all being about going to heaven? When we all get to heaven? Heaven's on the other side. Heaven's on the other side, yeah. Although, I'll fly away. Yeah, that's a very common one. Uh, this world is not my home. Just a passing through. Oh, yeah. Any song about the mansion and, and crowns and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah, right. Uh, and both of those come from John 14. We're going to talk about that today. Um, so, yeah, today what I want to do is look at a couple passages that if you have, with a lot of these passages, it's, it's what you already have in your mind is going to shape how you read what Paul or Jesus say, right? Because they usually don't say everything that could be said, and so we fill in the gaps a little bit. And so if you have one story, you'll fill it in a certain way, but if you approach it with this other story that, again, I'm arguing is the more biblical story, um, you can fill these in, you can understand these passages in a different light. So we're going to look at some that seem to talk about going to heaven as uh, the final destination, as the main point. So, let's start with 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13. I think I've uh, alluded to this passage a few times, so now we're finally going to get to talk about it. Philippians 4, 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who have died. For the Lord himself, with a cry of command, with the archangel's call and the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever." Therefore, encourage one another with these words. All right, so traditional reading of this 
when Jesus comes back, he's going to take us up into heaven. Uh, now, one direction that this passage has been interpreted, typically not in Churches of Christ, but is very common, is that this is about the rapture, right? That word for caught up in verse 17, uh, I think the Latin of it sounds like rapture. And so that's the idea that Christians are going to be kind of stolen out of earth to heaven while other people are left on earth for this time of tribulation, right? That God's just going to pull people out of cars and airplanes, uh, right? You may take the pilot if he's a Christian, and so, sorry, everybody else on the plane, right? Uh, which already right there, that doesn't seem too godly, but, you know, that's just how I understand God. Now, this idea of the rapture, it didn't start, nobody talked about this really until 1830, and there's a man named John Darby who kind of popularized this, and then it took hold um, from there. So it's, it's really more of a modern idea, right? It's, it's very common, but it's not actually that ancient. And there's a whole lot that goes into that. I don't have time to talk about it and uh, break it down, but that whole approach to understanding the end times very much is just taking bits of scripture and prophecies especially and kind of mashing them together while not actually understanding the context of what those various writers were talking about, right? Um, so I think that's that's not at all what this is, is pointing at. In fact, we really want to start with what Paul is trying to do, right? And see that his purpose is pastoral, right? He's trying to help people who are, are struggling with something. It seems like they expected the return of Christ to happen really quickly, like in their lifetimes. And, and Paul, I think, seems to still sort of believe that because in verse 17, he says, we who are alive, right? Paul seems to think at this point in his life, I think he changes his mind later, that he's going to be alive when Jesus comes back, right? That there wouldn't be that much time in between. And so there were probably some Thessalonians who thought that nobody would even die before Jesus came back. And so now they're thinking, oh, well, so-and-so died. Are they going to miss out now? And so Paul is trying to uh, console them and say, no, they didn't miss out. In fact, they're going to get special treatment, right? They get to rise first. And so it's all about this reunion with Christ and with fellow Christians, right? And again, that's a very common pastoral concern or question that I hear is, are we going to see them again? And I think you see that here, that we will all be with the Lord together. Uh, verse 17. So there's that hope here. In fact, if you go into chapter 5, the very next passage, you see that Paul has no time for speculation about, well, when's it going to happen? That sort of thing. Right? That, that's not important. So Paul's not going to worry about that. But when there's a pastoral need, he's going to talk through that with them. So as we look at this and trying to figure out what is this saying about what's going to happen at the end or, or where things are going, look at the kind of direction of, of things, right? So first it says the Lord comes, verse 15. We're going to talk about that word, the coming of the Lord. That's a very specific word that Paul uses. And that he descends from heaven. Right? And we talked about this before as well, right? Well, where is heaven? Right? We usually say up, but if you're in Australia, it's the opposite direction. And we still haven't found it as far as we've seen out into space. And so we know that's, that's sort of a metaphorical way of thinking of God above us, but not literally way out there. Then in fact, God is, is right there, right? Heaven's, uh, it's like another dimension almost on the other side of this reality. So God's always near us. Uh, but so it can still, he can still talk about Christ ascending from heaven. And so then he says the dead in Christ rise, right? That's resurrection language. That's the main hope for us of what God's going to do. Um, and 
You know, my translation said those who have died. Yours might say those who have fallen asleep. That's the literal reading of the Greek there, right? And that's, that's just a uh, metaphor, an idiom for death, right? That we still use to rest in peace. Um, and so that's the image there that those who are sleeping will be woken up. Um, and again, you can take that as metaphorically as you want. Um, something we'll talk about the next couple weeks after spring break is what happens between the time of death and the return of Christ. And, you know, if you take that sleep metaphor, that would mean that, right, at least in this passage, it sounds like these people who have died are still just there waiting in death, right? That they're not going to be with Christ until Christ returns. Uh, again, we'll look at some other passages that maybe uh, have a different perspective on that. Yeah, right? Which, hey, is that is that so bad, right? You go to sleep. You wake, next thing you know, you're waking up and Jesus is there. Uh, not so bad. And so then it says that, that the Christians are caught up in the clouds together, in verse 17. And we meet the Lord in the air. Which again, uh, another thing to pay attention is, look at what's actually said instead of what we think it's saying. Right? It doesn't say we, we meet in heaven, it says we meet in the air. And that uh, caught in the clouds is a reference to uh, Daniel chapter 7, where it talks about the Son of Man coming with the clouds. That's the way that Jesus usually talked about himself. And so Paul is using that, that same language. Like I said, he says, we'll be together. Right? That's reunion. But we're kind of left with this question. Well, what happens next? We are literally left hanging right, in the air. We'll be in the, we'll be in the air and we'll be with the Lord forever. Right? So, okay, what happens after we're in the air? Where do we go once we meet Jesus? And so here's a place where knowing these terms that Paul uses uh, can maybe help us understand this, right? Uh, yeah, it's always a little, I want to try and be a little careful about saying, well, it's this Greek word, so it means this, right? Well, you never know for certain what Paul meant, but sometimes they do have specific meanings that, uh, speaking to Thessalonians who are Greeks, they would probably know what he's talking about, right? To be members of the Roman Empire, these terms are going to connect with them. So the first one, the word for coming, uh, is the word parousia. Right, that's, that's on your on your handouts, right? You're getting your nerd words. Always plenty of those <laughs> with this this study. Um, it can just mean presence, uh, right? To be in the presence of someone, or coming, or arrival. Um, but it also could have this specific meaning of a royal visit, right? A parousia is for when like the emperor might be coming to your city. Right? And so this is a big deal. Uh, you imagine there would be fanfare with trumpets. Right? Like he said, there's a loud trumpet right, to announce that our king is coming to town, uh, coming to earth. Right? And so it's, it's not just Jesus showing up, it's, it's Jesus the Lord making a visit. In fact, this is another common thing that we miss that Paul is often doing. When he talks about Jesus being Lord, that's in contrast to Caesar being Lord. Right? And we're going to see this also in Philippians that we'll look at next, that Paul is taking common Greco-Roman Roman Empire imagery and changing it and putting Christ in the place of, of Lord. Right? So he's using categories that they would already know and understand as Roman people, uh, but he's replacing it with Jesus as the true Lord right? in, in a way of saying that Caesar is not. So uh, the parousia is this royal visit. And then the other word that he uses where he talks about we will meet him, the Lord in the air. Right? And again, 
When we read that in our English translations, that doesn't sound that interesting or noteworthy. Uh, but the word apentasis refers to going to meet the king or the lord or the emperor at the gate. Right? It, it goes along with the parousia, right? The parousia is what the king does to visit. The apentasis is our meeting of that dignitary at the gate of the city, right? Because if the king's coming to town, you want to go out and meet them. And then what do you do? You escort them into the city, right? With kind of a whole procession and making a big deal of it. All right? So if that's the image that Paul is using here, what is that saying about what happens after we meet Christ in the air? Well, that means we would escort him down to earth, right? Which is consistent with what we've seen. Right? And again, not earth as it is now, but the recreated new heavens and new earth. But just because we meet him in the air doesn't mean that that's where we're staying. Right? To use knowing these terms shows that you could understand this as Paul saying that we're gonna we're gonna come here again. That's not his focus. Right? His focus is to assure people who are worried about their friends, their brothers and sisters who have died. Um, and so, but we can fill in the gaps a little bit by knowing the rest of the story and knowing what some of these these uh, terms could mean. Not really, it's, it's, it's just heaven. Yeah, and in fact, usually, usually it's plural. Uh, most English translations don't, don't carry that through, but it's usually the heavens instead of heaven, right? So even like the Lord's Prayer, it's our Father who is in the heavens. Uh, which again, I think is, it's maybe better to, to think of it that way because that reminds us that God is not far off and distant. God is, all around us, right? And so, yeah, they could use heavens to refer just to the sky or this place where God is. And we want to separate those a lot, but maybe to think, well, God is is all around, right? There's nowhere where God is not in, in one sense. Um, so we always have access to God through Christ because his God is near. All right. Uh, well, let's keep going then. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3, we're just going to look at a couple verses here. Philippians 3, 20 and 21. Right. It says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humiliation, or our, our humble bodies, that it may be conformed to the body of His glory, by the power that also enables Him to make all things subject to Himself. All right. So again, traditional reading, heaven is our home, and we get to go there when we die. So this idea of being citizens of heaven, right? this comes up a couple times in, in this letter to Philippi. And so again, to understand this, we want to think about what citizenship was like in the Roman Empire. right? Now when we think of citizenship, it's just, well, if you're born in a country, you're a citizen of that country, is pretty much the standard way that it works. Um, in the Roman Empire, uh, citizenship was more of a, a special status, and it's not just based on living in Rome itself, in that particular city. Um, not everybody in the Roman Empire was a Roman citizen. Um, and I don't actually know, I should have looked up like the percentages, but I don't think it was a, a huge number, right? Slaves obviously wouldn't be considered uh, for that. They could be once they were freed, if they were freed by Roman citizens. Uh, and, and so it could be earned, uh, for special services to the empire. It could be awarded somehow, and, and then it gets passed on in your family if your parents were citizens. 
And uh, one thing that happened uh, to Philippi itself, Philippi was a Roman colony. It was a city that it had been around, and then it was destroyed, and Rome decided to rebuild it. And they kind of had a lot of people move there for the purpose of establishing this colony. A lot of them were retired soldiers, right? Rome was already overcrowded, and they didn't want more people coming to Rome. They especially didn't want a bunch of old soldiers who might be, you know, stirring up trouble. It's like, well, let's just ship them off to this colony uh, in Philippi, and they can build this city up, and we'll make them citizens, right? So it's this special reward. And so... What's that? (laughs) Yeah, I guess, a little bit. I don't know. I don't know how nice it was. And so, uh, these people in Philippi, this is something they could be really proud of, right? Not every city, even every, you know, predominantly Roman city, would be a colony or have everyone be a citizen. So this is something where Philippi stood out, right? I think in Acts it talks about Philippi was the, the major city in the region of Macedonia. So this is a, a big point of pride for them. And so, since Paul's smart, it's not, uh, it's, he's actually pretty, pretty clever in using that image uh, to communicate something to these Philippians. But the point of this is, right, that the Philippi has a bunch of citizens of Rome, but that doesn't mean that they want those, that Rome wanted those people to move to Rome eventually, right? The purpose of them being citizens of Rome over in Philippi was to spread Roman culture and the Roman way of life in this other place, right? To build up the empire outside of Rome. And so we take the implication of that. All right, so if instead we are citizens of heaven, what is that saying? It's not saying the focus is not on us going to heaven. The focus is on us bringing heaven to earth where we are right now. Again, it's not contradicting that going to heaven, but I'm just trying to point out that the, the focus here is about how we live as God's representatives on earth. Right? Paul is trying to get them, instead of being proud of being Roman citizens, be proud of your heavenly citizenship. And think about how you should live because of that. Uh, in fact, back in chapter 1, where is it? I didn't write this down. Uh, verse 27, he says, live your life in a way that's worthy of the man- uh, manner of the gospel. Right? And the word that he uses there actually means to exercise your citizenship. It's not a very common word. Right? So it's, it's, it's throughout this letter right? that, that if we are citizens of heaven, this should shape how we live here. It's not about where we go. It's about uh, being who Christ wants us to be. And then he also talks about resurrection there in verse 21, that when Jesus comes, we're expecting a Savior from heaven, right? Again, the focus is on Christ coming to here from there, not about us going there. That's when he's going to transform our bodies uh, to be more like his, and he's going to subject all things to himself. God, Christ will be all in all. All right, so that's Philippians 3. Not as much to say about that, but I wanted to mention that one. All right, so you see, right, the, there's so many things that when we don't know the how people thought, how people talked in the first century, we just kind of read it in our language and we miss some of the things that would have been very clear to Paul and to his readers. So this is why I think looking at some of these terms uh, can make a big difference for how we understand what God is doing. Uh, all right, so let's go to John chapter 14. Another very common uh, passage where we talk about heaven, even though that word's not used. <laughs> Right? What is not there? All right, John 14. I'll uh, just read 1 through 3. 
So this is Jesus, right? This is the night of the Last Supper, right before he dies. He's talking with his disciples, uh, trying to tell them that he's going to die, be going away, but also to, to comfort them and tell them it's, it's going to be all right. Uh, and so that's, again, that's the situation uh, that Jesus is speaking into here. It says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. All right, so traditional reading is Jesus prepares me a home in heaven and will take me to heaven someday. Right, uh, one of the most common passages that we go to for that, that idea. But what's not said? Right? Like I mentioned, the word heaven is not used there. Right? We just kind of insert that in. And it says Jesus takes us to himself, not to this prepared place. So where will he be? Right? Where do things line up? Where are they the same? Where are they different? Right? Is my father's house and this prepared place, are those the same thing? Are they different things? Uh, is one, they start in the same place, but they go different places? Right? These are the kind of questions that you know, we want to try and pull this apart a little bit and ask, okay, are these talking about these things that we assume that they're referring to? Uh, so he talks about dwelling places, right? In my father's house, there are many dwelling places. Um, now, I think the King James and some older ones say mansions, right? and so that's where some of these songs will talk about getting a mansion after you die comes from. Um, and when we say mansion, right, we think huge house, right? And so when you hear that in, in English, modern English, you just think, okay, so no matter what I add here, when I get to heaven, it's going to be way nicer. Um, but even back when that was translated in the King James, mansion just meant like a place to stay, uh, a, a dwelling place, right? So that is a better translation. And in fact, to think of it as a mansion doesn't make sense. How could you have a mansion inside of a house, right? It makes more sense to think of it as, as a room in a house. And it could, that, that word sometimes refers to like a temporary resting place, like a room at an inn, right? So not your final destination, but a place you stay on the way, right? Now that's, that's only one way that that word gets used, so that's not necessarily definitive or conclusive, uh, but it is one way you could read that. And then there's the other question of what does Jesus mean by God's house, right? My father's house. Uh, I mean, right, when you hear that phrase, what do you think? Heaven, right? Well, that's, right, that's where God is, that's where God lives, so that's, that's his father's house. Um, I mean, that's not wrong to think that way, right? But we want to think, okay, but how is Jesus talked in this gospel, right? One of the things I think we talked about before is, you know, every writer writes slightly differently, and they may use words differently than other writers, and so we want to, whenever we can, stick to one book or one author to kind of see how they use different phrases. So the only other, only other place in the Gospel of John where the phrase, my father's house, is used is in John chapter 2. So if you want to look back there real quick. And uh, this is Jesus cleansing the temple. So John 2, 16. He told those who were selling the doves, right? He's cleansing the temple, getting them out of there. Take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. All right? So there, God's house is the temple. 
And as we talked about before, I think, uh, in the Jewish mindset, the temple is the place where heaven and earth meet, right? That these are kind of the two sides of creation. And in the Old Testament, the temple or the tabernacle before it was a place where that boundary kind of broke down, at least in the Holy of Holies, right? And you had to be clean or pure in order to, to go there. Only the high priest could go into the, the most holy place one time a year. Um, and so it's a very special thing. But they really thought of God being there, that, that this is where heaven and earth met, is at the temple. And so uh, as Christians, though, we've reinterpreted that that symbol of the temple. right? And it, John even does that for us here in that chapter. Right? Jesus, in verse 19, says, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Right? So three days being raised up, we probably know what he's talking about. And then John makes it clear in verse 21, he was speaking of the temple of his body. Right? And right, there's a lot of metaphors that are getting mixed here, but there's a sense in which Jesus is talking about the temple, but the temple is also him. Right? And so in some sense, that's a way of, of us being with Jesus. It seems to be maybe the main focus. Or if, you know, John 14 is referring to the, the end when God restores all things, this God is dwelling in the recreated heaven and earth, right? That all of earth is a temple. Uh, that's an idea that you see in, in Revelation, right? There's no need for a temple because God's presence is everywhere. Um, and so it's that same idea, right? That, that everything in the end is a place where God's fullness dwells. And so that's where we'll be. Now, if you look on the back of your handout, you'll see this, this chart. Uh, it's from a book called A New Heaven and New Earth by J. Richard Middleton. It's a great book that goes through a lot of these things in more depth uh, than I've talked about. And so he's just kind of broken down how many times and in different places various writers talk about what is being prepared for us and how the preparation is happening in heaven right now in the present and it will be revealed in the future on earth, right? And so uh, you see about halfway through Philippians 3.20, right? That uh, it's our citizenship, it's, it's ours, it's in heaven, but the coming of the Savior who will come here and transform us, right? Or Revelation 21, one of the first passages we looked at, uh, the holy city is prepared for Christ in heaven, it comes down out of heaven from God. Um, all right, we don't need to go through all of these, but you see there's a consistent pattern here of it's being prepared there to come here. And so we can still understand John 14 in this, this similar pattern, right? It's that place is being prepared for you. He doesn't say where, so that's, that's a little less clear. But Jesus will come again, right? That Jesus will, when Jesus comes, he will bring what's being prepared. Um, right? And it's this analogy, I think he used a similar one one of the other weeks. It'd be like saying you're preparing a cake in the kitchen, right? That doesn't mean that you're going to have to go to the kitchen to eat it. When it's time to eat the cake, you're going to bring it out to the dining room where everyone is and enjoy it there. <laughs> I know, it sounds good, right? Um, and so what, what God has in store for us is being prepared in the heavens. Um, but when the time uh, comes, then God is going to bring that. And that includes our resurrection. That includes the redemption of, of creation. Um, and again, you could still think of this as... There may be a sense in which we go to heaven that we're with Jesus there in a temporary sense until that final uh, restoration of all things happens. Uh, but 
that could still be temporary, right? I'm not saying we don't go to heaven at some point. Uh, that's what we're going to look at next. But to see that that's not the full story, because that ends up just being about us and about us getting to escape from this life, and it kind of ignores the rest of God's creation. Which I think the bigger story, right, is, is seeing how God makes everything good again, right? And we're an important part of that story. And God's not going to give up on the role that God has given us in, in creation. But God doesn't have to give up on all creation to do that. Um, all right. Other questions about John 14? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the, the temple of his body, right? And that's, that's more Paul's image that, that we are the temple. I don't know if you see that in, in John's writings as much. Um, I think it's more than just the church. Well, there's a sense in which, right, in the church, God is present through the Holy Spirit uh, in, in a particular special way. And so, again, his, his purpose here is to comfort them. And that's actually a big part of, of this section of John's gospel is sending the Spirit. Um, and so I think that, that fits. That's, it's still consistent right, that, so that God is with us. Um, I think there's a good chance, right? Because that's the language that, that has already been used in John of the temple being God's house. So um, how would you apply that to us? Uh, that we're, it's, again, if the temple is Jesus, then it's somehow we're with Jesus until that final consummation of all things, I think is how I would understand it. Again, it's, it's a little confusing, right? Because you're, you're using metaphors in multiple ways. And so this is one place where I'm like, it's a little hard to, to pin it down. Um, but I think we can see, my main point with, with looking at this passage and, and the others is to show it's not, uh, this doesn't contradict the other things that we've looked at the past few weeks about God wanting to restore all things, right? That it's not just, well, God's building me a house in heaven, so someday I'm going to get to go there. Um, we actually missed where we talked about Second uh, Corinthians chapter four and five. That was the week I recorded it, and so some of you may have got to watch it or listen to it. Um, but in that passage, Paul talks about how we have this home prepared in the heavens. But if you pay attention to the metaphors there, that home is referring to our resurrection body, right? He's saying right now we live basically in a tent. We don't want to be homeless, which is to be bodiless, which was what Greeks wanted, the Platonic philosophy said. There were just these immaterial souls. We need to escape our body. He says, no, that's not what we want. We don't want to be homeless. We want to upgrade our tent to a, a proper home. Right? And so that's what God is doing in the resurrection. And so again, uh, it's, it's consistent there, I think, uh, that we see that right, if we're not misreading 2 Corinthians, then we won't misread John 14 as much. Because right? I think they're saying the same thing. Right? You see that on that, that chart as well in 2 Corinthians. Right? The dwelling... That resurrection body is prepared for us in the heavenly places and we'll be clothed with it, uh, with this resurrection body when Jesus returns. Again, uh, I'll start where, kind of where we, or I'll finish where we started, right? That there's a pastoral point to all of this. Neither John nor Paul were writing just to give us facts about Jesus' return or about heaven. And, and I hope that's, that's not all that I'm trying to do either. It's to just kind of explain things for you so that you know, right? It's, it's to be an encouragement. Uh, the point of this passage in John 14 is that the disciples know you're not going to be abandoned. 
Yes, I'm going to die, and I'm going to be not with you the same way that I have been, but it's going to be okay. Right? The next thing he says, um, who is it? One of the Thomas asked him, right? We don't know where you're going. How are we going to know the way to where you're going? And Jesus says, No, I am the way. Right? Even that statement, which gets taken out of context to be exclusive, is all about how you, know, you don't need to know a certain way to get there. Jesus is the way. As long as we know him, as long as we're connected to him, then we're going to be all right. You know, and these passages were interesting to me uh, to be working on this week because I've heard both of these passages, John 14 and 1 Thessalonians 4, quoted a lot uh, with my father's death. Um, and again, right, because that's what they're about. They're about the hope that we have. And, and whether I'm right or wrong about this, um, whether we understand everything fully, they do give us a reason to hope, to know that we are not left alone, that we're going to see the people that we love again, that if they're in Christ, then it's going to be all right. Um, that's the hope that we get here. As Paul says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. So that's my encouragement to you. Thanks, everyone. See you in a couple weeks since we don't have class next week, and we'll talk about this intermediate state what happens between death and Jesus' return and various passages that relate to that.